Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. When Jesus takes the time to say, to tell us why He came, in His own words, why He's here, we need to listen. There has never been, there never will be anyone that walks the earth like Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing it would have been to see Him. Just to see Him, to see Him healing people and casting out demons and calming storms. And But, in His own words, by the witness of Scripture, what would have been truly beyond description, truly amazing, was to hear Him preach the Word. Could you imagine listening to Jesus preach the Word? He is the Word. He is the Word of God incarnate. That is the Word made into human flesh. Luke begins to paint this picture of Jesus for us that shows this irrevocable connection between the person and the power of the Word He speaks. When He speaks, things happen. Things that don't happen when anyone else speaks, no matter who they are, no matter how powerful. Right? If a king that has all the power in the world, says, bow down to me. Some people will and some people won't. But when Jesus speaks, things actually happen. But as this is being displayed for us, we're also learning something about ourselves. We are drawn more to what we consider to be amazing, to what we consider to be miraculous. We're affected more by signs and wonders and visible things. And we should be. In one sense, the things Jesus was doing were earth-shattering. They were curse-undoing things. But those things are not the greatest thing about Jesus. And so, in a sense, we aren't missing out because we weren't there or don't see these kinds of things happening right and left in our day. The, The greatest thing about Jesus, what we should desire to have and to hear above everything else, is His Word, which we have all the time. That which He says and declares and following the quotation from Isaiah 61 that Jesus read in verses 18 and 19 a series of miracles here now confirm that what Jesus proclaimed is coming true Jesus didn't come first and foremost to do these amazing things but to preach the word I mean of course God can do the amazing things he does of course Jesus could heal us of our diseases and destroy demons and calm the raging sea. Of course, He can do those things. He made our bodies. He made the angels. He is the sovereign creator of heaven and earth. He made water. He created storms. But that this God would come to us fallen rebels and sinners to serve us, to become like one of us, to forgive us, to release us from bondage to sin and death and reconcile us to himself for all eternity that beloved is what is almost truly unbelievable that is truly amazing Jesus is the word of God incarnate whose authority is sufficient for the needs of all humanity let's pray our father thank you and praise you forever for your perfect word that has become flesh, has become fulfillment, has become the promise kept in the person of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we see and hear from Him this day out of Your Word. 
please use me as a vessel for this purpose, not to stand in the way of it, Father, but to get out of the way. May my words do that. May they point to Christ. Would you help me, Father, to forgive myself, to focus on Christ in my own heart for the sake of these words, that all who are here might hear and believe in Him. We ask and pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Picking up chapter 4 and verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now eventually, Jesus will have a hard word for the people in Capernaum. But here in chapter 4, the point is the contrast between how they received the word and the people in Nazareth, his hometown, had just rejected the word earlier in chapter 4. This, the buzzword here is authority. When Jesus speaks, there's authority. In Luke's gospel, this sign here, this miracle, is a premier event. It's the first of Jesus' miracles in Luke's gospel. It's a signal miracle for the rest of the gospel. It demonstrates this Jesus has power and victory over Satan and his minions. And that power is reassuring. If it becomes clear at the beginning of his ministry that he can destroy demonic power and speak to Satan and his minions and they obey him, how reassuring it is then that he will banish Satan and all his minions at the very end of all things. And he will. Until Peter's confession later in chapter 9, no human participants in the story, at least not from Luke 4 and following, know who Jesus is. But the demons do. They've heard that voice before. It's a demon that confesses his identity at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That's what the infancy narrative had said about Jesus. That's what the angel had said about Jesus. He's been anointed by the Holy Spirit. He's been filled by the Spirit. He's being led by the Spirit. He's returned in the power of the Spirit. After his temptation in the wilderness into Galilee, Luke is fleshing out for us all the titles we heard Jesus being called in that first part of Luke in the infancy narrative. How will Jesus destroy the works of the devil? What will he need at his disposal to conquer the greatest enemy there is? How does he release this man from his bondage to this unclean demon? Because nobody else has been able to do it. Jesus spoke to the demon. That's all it takes. Again, the movies will make you think. Art will make you think. Literature will make you think that that there's, you know, you have to basically be your own kind of witch in order to cast out demons. You've got to have all the right little trinkets and tools and you've got to be really powerful or really special or really chosen. And you find out in Scripture it's, it's, it's the Word of Jesus that does it. It's not nearly as dramatic as we think it would be. But that's all it takes. The demon has to do what Jesus says. Could you imagine if you had that kind of power over your greatest enemy? 
that they had to do what you said. Could you imagine how that changes everything about war? That is the extent of his power over the forces of darkness. You hear them in verse 36. They've never seen anything like this. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. What is this word? It's a word that literally creates, manifests what it says. It can make things happen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by this Word. That's John 1, by the way, 1 through 3. Jesus is that Word of God through whom He creates out of nothing. When God speaks, it is this person, Jesus, through whom He upholds the universe by the Word of his power, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. That's what's keeping the earth on its axis. That's what's keeping stars and planets and all these things in place. The word of Jesus that he has already said. Demons must obey. Evil must surrender. Darkness must give way to light. Now, you and I can do a lot with words. You can destroy somebody's life with words. James writes that a tiny spark from our mouths can set a whole forest on fire. But for all the power that our words have, as much as we might think we can, we can't create out of nothing with our words. We need raw materials. We need willing participants. We need adherence for our word to create what we want it to make or to do. That's why there's such a push for a thing nowadays called manifesting. Manifest what you want out of life. Manifest with your words what you want to accomplish because your words have power and our words do have power. Isn't it funny that that doesn't sell in Ethiopia where they're starving to death? Or in the Sudan where they're starving to death? Tell them, just manifest food. Say it. In America, you know, the Western world where you have all these advantages, you can pretend that you're manifesting Because when you want something, you decide to work hard for it and get it. You didn't manifest. You worked and got it. Right? Trust fund babies didn't manifest their wealth. It was given to them. The hungry can't manifest food. The poor can't manifest money. You can't manifest a healing to your disease without any means or without any help. Our words are powerful, but they are limited but not the incarnate Word of God. He speaks, and it is. And we need that to be the case, especially especially when it comes to our salvation. We need our salvation to be the result of the power of the declaration of God and not the hopeful result of our efforts to save ourselves. I need my salvation to be hinging on this person's ability to manifest into real time what he says is to be and is true. We need Jesus who determines our salvation, not us. What He speaks is. This is what the Word of God looks like. It is seen in what it does. And if God's Word is a person, what is the limit to His power? 
continuing here in verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. This is the disciple Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. So, what is, what is Luke doing here? The power of the word of Jesus is not confined to the synagogue. Right? It's not just for religious spaces, as if Jesus doesn't have authority unless he's on holy ground or something. Right? What about a lone woman who's suffering not from the oppression of a demon, but from a fever, hold up in her own house? Will Jesus have authority there? Will his word work there? Her healing is so complete that she instantly gets up and begins serving them, caring for them. Jesus speaks to the fever like he spoke to that demon. That word rebuke is there. The word for rebuke actually is used three times in this section. In other words, Jesus makes no distinction between the ailment of body and soul. Now, does that mean, does this mean that fevers or sicknesses are actually brought on directly by demons? Or if you're sick, it's a sign that you're oppressed by a demon or possessed by a demon. No. But something deeper is going on here. Demon possession, sickness, sin, death, these are all manifestations of creation's bondage to its fallenness. And Jesus frees those in bondage to fallenness. We learn that in verse 18. How does he do it? By his word. The same word you and I have to speak today. Because he is the word. When we get fevers or become sick, it's not that a demon is necessarily oppressing us, although that certainly could be the case. What happens when we get sick is that it's evidence, once again, that our world is not in the state of perfection it was when it was created, before it was tainted and corrupted by rebellion, and everything bad came into the world. Now nothing works as it's supposed to, including the human body, including the human mind. Everything is broken. Nothing is perfect. Everything is susceptible to viruses and sicknesses and these things. It's not a demon directly doing it, but it's all there because we're fallen, because everything's broken. So Jesus is very right to do this. He's going right to why there's fevers and sicknesses at all in the world. doesn't mean Peter's mother-in-law had done something horrible and now she's sick. We get sick whether we do bad things or not. Now Satan and his minions manipulate and plot and scheme and meddle to keep people blinded to their need for Christ. This means all brokenness, even sicknesses, is connected in some way to sin, in some way to the evil one. Sickness doesn't mean we're necessarily being punished for sin. But that until sin and death are eliminated once and for all, we are going to suffer in various ways because of it. We're subjected to this now. So Jesus is going very macro here when he rebukes this fever. It's evidence of the fall, and he has power over that too. He not only has power over the direct agents of all this, 
but of the fallout of all this. This text is the pronouncement that all fallenness is on borrowed time now, that he has come, even our sicknesses. In the new heavens and the new earth, none of these things will exist. None of them. No sickness, no crying, no pain, no death. Because of this word and the one who creates and sustains all of it. So the sun goes down in verse 40. That means Luke is telling us the Sabbath was officially over. So no one that was worried about it or hesitant, you know, because they're going to get chewed out for seeking healing on the Sabbath, that's no more. So this whole mess of people descend on Peter's house. And Jesus laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. They all received his personal attention and he held nothing back. And in verse 41, the demons are now being fully assaulted in the ministry of Jesus. He even keeps them. He has the power to keep them from confessing what is true about him. Because they knew that he was the Christ. Now, why would he silence them from saying that? Was he embarrassed? Was he afraid? No, it's because he's not done preaching to the world yet. Now is not the time for him to be arrested and sentenced because he's a threat. That will come. But he's just getting started. There are still people to whom the word must be spoken. That's why in verse 30, he slipped through that crowd. Right? Miraculously, by the power of God, because it's not time for him to be taken and arrested because he is the Christ. All these deeds are a complement to, they're a signal of, the power of his word. What Isaiah prophesied is now coming to fulfillment in his release of those captive to Satan, captive to sicknesses and diseases. He stifles raging demons and he takes care of sick mothers and mothers. He is the word of God incarnate. Verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. That phrase, the kingdom of God, appears here for the first time in Luke's gospel, and no explanation, no definition of it is given. It's never really defined in the gospels every time you see it. We have to come to its meaning from the context in which it's being used in the moment. Here it's foundational for Luke's message about Jesus. It means the good news that God's plan of salvation is now being manifested in Jesus who teaches and performs miracles that testify to the presence of God in Him. But His priority is preaching. So after what was probably an exhausting and exciting day, Jesus is understandably tired in His humanity. He seeks a quiet place to himself. Mark tells us that he does this to pray. We can assume it's the same here. But, again, it, he's too good to be true right now. He can do this stuff. They've seen him do. The people of Capernaum, understandably so, mob him. And they pressure him. You, you've got to stay right here. I mean, why not? There's sick people here. There's hungry people here. There's Like, stay here. We, we need you here to do this stuff. Any people group in the world would make that claim, right? And that's the reality. We need you here. They wanted to keep him from leaving them in verse 42. But Jesus is under a divine must. Remember, look at 43 again. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for that purpose. 
mainly, right? He means he's been sent by God, and God sent him mainly to preach. Not to do all these signs. They're compliments to. They're not the substance of why he's come. So he must go to the other towns as well, because all people need to hear the word. The word apostle, by the way, comes from the verb to send that you see there in verse 43, or for send. Jesus is the first apostle of the good news of the kingdom, and his disciples will become apostles of this same message that he's preaching now and must keep preaching. One commentator writes that this mission comes from God and through Jesus. It's messianic. It is in fulfillment of the Old Testament. It is a balance of teaching and miracles. It is the releasing power of the new era of salvation. It causes the demons to recognize the presence and dominion of God in the world. Beloved, when Jesus is present, when the word of Jesus is present, the dominion of God over the natural world and the demonic world is present. Because his word has Authority, And wherever that word is present, even today, there is that same authority to do what the word says it can do, to save, to heal, whatever it is. If God chooses to move by those means through his word, he can and he will. The presence of Jesus means the very presence of the kingdom of God, even when it is his word. He is his word. So there's something very instructive for us in this text if we are willing to look. Go back for a moment to verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Again, in one way, you can hardly blame them. But this points to an ongoing or at least potential problem that we have even today. And it's this. All of us do this. I, I, I say that so you know that I do this too. right? We, we want to manage Jesus and manage His Word for our own purposes, even when they're not bad. We want Him and His Word to do our own wishes. We want to shape Jesus and shape His Word to say what we want said, to fulfill our purposes. We put our trust then so often in chariots and horses of our own making. We don't mean to, but we might be keeping the Word from getting out in power. Even with good intentions, we might be in the way of what Jesus says is the necessity and priority of the ministry of His people. We don't have to grease the wheels for the Word to have power to do what it says it will do. We long for more visible, more tangible manifestations of power and of God's presence because we don't want to have faith that those things are always where Jesus said they would be. The preaching of the Word. The proclamation of the Word. See, the the preaching of the Word is never really about the preacher. That's not what gives it its power. That's not what gives it its effectiveness. We don't prioritize the proclamation of the Word, the preaching of the Word for the sake of the preacher, but because the Word is the Word. And that's what preaching is for. That's what preaching uniquely does more clearly than anything else that can be done. 
we must trust the word that has been spoken in the scriptures for everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. Trust what's been written. You don't need more than that. For that is the all-sufficient word of Jesus. What's in this book is what Jesus wants to say to you. Think of it like that first. Don't go looking for what you want out of it. Go to it knowing that this is what Jesus thinks you need to hear. We need to hear. This is the record of what Jesus has accomplished and of what Jesus can do. It's sufficient because He is sufficient. So we don't need to second guess it. We cannot allow ourselves in our wishful thinking to believe that there's something we could do or add to this Word that will somehow make it more powerful or sufficient than it already is. No, beloved. It's enough. For the demons and the darkness and all evil, He is the Word. For sin and helplessness and despair and confusion, He is the Word. In this Word alone is life and salvation. God has given us what He says we need. Don't distrust Him. Don't doubt Him. Don't second-guess Him. Believe Him. Believe this Word spoken to you. Jesus is the Word of God incarnate whose authority is sufficient for the needs of all humanity, which means His Word is sufficient for you. Whatever your need is, that's what Luke 4 is telling us. For you, Christ, for you, all the time, always present in His Word. <laughs>